All right, welcome back to the show. This is Brad, and uh, today is a very interesting day. As the as of the day that I'm recording this, the nation has a new president, uh, or will President Trump uh, love him or hate him? It's been a very historic uh, occasion, and I don't think there's anybody who's listening to this who probably wasn't glued to the TV or the internet watching the election and watching what's going on. And um, just a really, really crazy time, uh, good or bad, depending on your mood. Uh, don't let it affect me too much. I just kind of move forward and uh, continue on hustling like I know you guys are probably doing as well. Uh, today, it, this may be somewhat appropriate too, with you know, the economy and the government is changing. I have got uh, my friend and the founder of Capitalism.com, Ryan Moran, uh, is joining us today. He teaches people how to you know, change the world and make money in the process by building a business and investing the profits. I've known Ryan a little bit here for the past uh, several years and watched him do some really amazing things in the world of e-commerce and uh, you know, even a, a very big live event that he's hosting in about a month called Freedom Fast Lane Live. And I will have the uh, I'll have a link in the show notes so that you can go check that out. I plan on being there. And, um, I think it'll be just a, you know, a tremendous event for you guys to check out as well. So, uh, if you like this show and if you like what, you know, Ryan has to say, you can get a lot more of him live, uh, here real soon. So without any further ado, let me welcome Ryan to the show. How are you, my friend? Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me on, man. And even if they don't like what I have to say, they can still check it out. Uh, you know, if we're talking politics, I'm sure somebody's going to be upset. At least that would be the goal, I think, if that uh, if that came up. But uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. You know the um, crazy though, right? Huh? This is the day after the election, and uh, I mean the way the way the way I look at it is capitalism is exactly the same as it was yesterday, and hopefully it'll be the same in four years. To the matter remains, you're still the best shot you have at solving all of your problems and the world problems. And if we're waiting for a politician or a government to do that every four years, we were doomed in the first place. I could not agree more. And it's one of those things that it's just you, you see everybody just so wrapped up in um, in how much this affects them. And it's emotionally it's, a, it's an emotional thing. I get it for a lot of people. But um, but there there has been also not. To, and I don't want to make this a big political uh podcast episode but it almost ha- d- does seem like especially this year when bernie was so close to um the nomination too like socialism be- having a much big bigger and growing voice in the country and then on the far right capitalism and um it's kind of interesting to see the two of like all of the tension between these two ideologies battling for the soul of this nation don't you agree so I, I don't agree. Um, and here's why I was, I was bacon wrapped up too. Um, but I was wrapped up because I don't think capitalism was, was represented. I mean, if, if we look at, if we take policy aside, if, if we look at the difference between capitalism and crony capitalism, capitalism would be getting things done and solving problems and changing the world through the profit motive. Whereas crony capitalism is getting government contracts and changing legislation. We heard a lot about crony capitalism. We did not hear a lot about free market capitalism. And I think they're very, very different things. That's a very good point. So I, I felt very frustrated through the election process because, and, and one of the reasons why I feel so compelled to spread the message of capitalism and, and capitalism.com is because I think we have 
seen the world bastardize capitalism and replace it with this idea of the government being the solution or big business being in, in bed with government. And at the end of the day, I don't think there are many Occupy Wall Street type of Bernie Sanders supporters, people who are upset that people are making money. They're upset that they're making money at the expense of others by being in bed with government. And we can all agree on that. But that's not capitalism. Capitalism is providing something of value, creating new value and being immensely rewarded in the process because there is no limit to the amount of abundance that we can have. And that's the message that I fear has been lost throughout all this noise. I, you put that really eloquently and I, and I totally agree. And that's one of the things I, I didn't even bring up like Trump, because I, I don't see Trump as the bastion of capitalism and I don't see, you know, or the, you know, or the poster boy. Um, and I've always been, you know, it's kind of funny. Like when I was a, when I was a kid, I loved like Alex B. Keaton was my favorite character <laughs> on all the t- television. And I really, um, and I grew up, like I have a finance and an economics degree background. And, you know, I, was, I studied Milton Friedman a lot and I studied a lot of these people who are, you know, some of the, you know, some of the leaders of capitalism and what real capitalism is. And I think unfortunately the most, the majority of the people out there don't really know what capitalism is they hear about it as oh that's we're a capitalist country or oh capitalist pigs are ruining everything mm-hmm. how you know for my audience who maybe doesn't have a degree in economics and who hasn't studied all this i mean you're the founder of capitalism.com give me some more details on what it really represents and what it doesn't and maybe some of the myths surrounding capitalism and what you're trying to do to dispel those well, I would, I would consider capitalism to be the container through which individuals are financially rewarded for solving problems. Or to put simply, we change the world and make money in the process. And it's the best shot we have at solving any problem that you want. I don't care if it's global warming. I don't care if it is energy, if it is illness and disease. Capitalism is the fastest, the most efficient, and the best shot we have at solving all those problems. And we only slow it down when we get in the way. When the government tries to come in and and expedite it, it usually rewards winners before they have won Mm -hmm. and prevents people from coming in and being innovators. So the best thing we can do to solve the world's problem is to keep the hell out of the way. So that's I would define capitalism as that container through which we protect private exchange so that we can solve problems and make money in the process. The biggest misconception people have is that there's a fixed pie, that by me producing something of value and being rewarded, I have now made it harder for you to experience the same benefit. The opposite is true. By me providing value in the marketplace, I've made the pie bigger, and therefore you have more to work with. You can actually succeed even more, and by you succeeding, you provide more into the economy, and I've got more to work with. It's the reason why we can look back 100 years and we say more people are fed, more people have housing, the quality of both of those things have gone up, more diseases are solved, even though we're, quote, using up natural resources and we have more people to feed on this planet. So that's the reason, because by more create, by more creation, we actually build a bigger pie. And when there's a bigger pie, we have more to work with and we can build an even bigger pie. That's why the 
growth curve is exponential, as Peter Diamandis would put it. It's why we're able to solve more problems than ever before. It's why we can solve more diseases and people can live longer. And that can only go up as long as the pie continues to get bigger. Everybody has more pie to eat. So let's make more pie. The the opposite approach would be there's a fixed amount and we've got to figure out how we're going to divide this up equally and fairly and make sure that people put back into the in, into the pie according to their fair share. And that would be a misunderstanding of how an economy works because an economy, as it grows, literally creates more wealth and we can create an infinite amount. Right. Now, what about the, you know, what about the naysayers who have seen, and I, and I think I know your answer to this because, but, you know, who's seen what the unbridled greed and the unbridled, um, profits at any cost, et cetera that has get, kind of given a black eye to some capitalism and they think, well, we need to have all these government controls because we obviously seen what the banksters have done and all of this other stuff. Do you believe as I kind of do that it's, it's the over-regulation and the over, um, well, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but, uh, what do you think has kind of caused that, um, so there was, there was a, a phrase that from, during the crisis in 2007, 2008, that Wall Street was drunk. Yeah. Uh, and that would be what most people would say would be that unbridled capitalism of the bankers. Mm-hmm. But if, if we simply look at who provided the alcohol, you know, who, who brought this alcohol to the party to make Wall Street drunk? Well, we can, we can point back to the, the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates below 1%. Mm-hmm. Or at 1% for a long time, which is where they are. You know, they're below 1% right now. We're doing it again. We're staving off the hangover with more alcohol. So I would go back to policy. The policy is that we had below market interest rates, which allows the rich to borrow at almost no cost and buy apartment buildings and buy businesses and buy stocks and real estate and all these great things that spur economic growth. But they're doing it carelessly because there's no risk. Because they're paying almost nothing in interest rates. Well, the poor, they pay higher prices because now there's these asset prices going up. So rent's going to go up. So the cost of housing is going to go up. The cost of food is going to go up. The cost of gas is going to go up. And meanwhile, they're getting less in their savings because the banks have below 1% interest rates. So you have a policy that is supposed to encourage growth, but it actually makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. And then we blame capitalism for making the, for making income inequality. It just makes no sense. You're right. I think a, a, a better way of looking at this would be to just stay out of the way, let markets decide how things are going to work. And then you don't have all of these problems. So I look at policy as the problem in the first place. So what about social safety nets? And what about, those aspects like how because there is the purest capitalist laissez-faire every man for himself uh etc but then there's the more realistic side that we live in and etc like how do you what's your view on the social safety nets well Uh my 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 personal view is that they tend to have an opposite effect Mm -hmm. i think it's a really good I, i think it's a really good thing for us to take care of one another I just happen to think government is really bad at it. <laughs> I, I, I really want my neighbor to be taken care of in the event of, of, uh, of something happening, but I just don't trust that to a out of touch politician to be able to make good decisions for him. 
Now, if we're going to do it, though, the best way we could do it is on the state or the local level, because then we have more control over it. We have more ability to affect change if we don't like the policy in the first place. It's easier to hold a politician accountable if they're on the state level. You can vote them out a lot easier than waiting for years for whoever's going to run for president to be able to do something differently. So if we're going to do it, we need to do it on the local level. The idea that we could have a policy work for 400 million Americans over 50 different states, over 4,000 miles, uh, is absurd. Because the people in Colorado are going to have different needs than the people in Florida. Mm -hmm. So a one-size-fits-all policy, I think, is uh, a mistake. It's inefficient, and it, if we're going to do it, then it needs to be done on a local level where we can have more direct say over what that's going to look like. You know, it's a shame that we, when it comes to politics, I think as a nation, we all tend to pay more attention to the things that happen at the top and less that happen locally in our communities, right. in our co county, in our state, which when you look at what affects us the most and what we can, what change we can affect the most, like you just said, it's at much more at the local level. I mean, I know when I, I voted in this election, I primarily voted for a lot of the things that were on the ballot in San Diego and California in general, more so than I did at the federal level, because I know that those things are going to affect my day-to-day -day life uh, to a, you know, arguably to a larger degree. Um, one of the things that was on the ballot, I, I believe it was out here in California, and I know in a lot of places around the country, I, I think I saw it pass a lot of referendums on increasing the minimum wage probably seen some of that um your views on the minimum wage i think well my it, my, my view on the minimum wage it goes back to that idea but i think it does the opposite yep. impact um I, I think it actually harms um, hurts hurts poor people more than it helps them mm -hmm. um we, we could go deep into the economics of that but my I understand that it's a well-intended policy that I think does the opposite effect of what people are hoping for. Yeah. Uh, but, and and to, to your other point about uh, if we pay more attention on the federal level than the local level, that, that's the reason why on capitalism.com our tagline is be the change. Mm -hmm. Because it's a really bad strategy to wait four or eight years for you to have an impact on somebody's life by voting for the right guy or girl. It's just a really, really bad strategy. I want some, I want change to happen. So I'm going to wait eight years. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to hope my guy wins. Then I'm going to vote for him when tens of millions of other people are also going to vote. Um, hope that my voice is heard and then wait two more years for them to be able to hopefully pass a policy and hope that it trickles down to me. I can't think of a worse strategy <laughs> than that when you can just create the change that you want in your life now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the minimum wage thing, it kind of reminds me, I, I wish I could find this. I've searched all over the internet, but it was years ago that I saw this analogy to it. And the guy was telling a story. He's like, man, I couldn't believe it. I, um, he goes, I had this old computer and I was, I was done using it. I was like, I threw it on eBay. Like I figured I'd sell it. I, I was going to throw it away, but if I can get a, a, a little bit of money for it, somebody offered me 200 bucks and we went to engage in the transaction. And then I got a letter saying I can't sell it for $200. And it was from the government. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm about to complete this transaction. They're like, no, you've got to sell it for $500. And he's like, well, it's not worth $500 and nobody will give me $500. Huh. The new buyer. And they're like, nope, sorry. And he's like, yeah, you probably think that's a ridiculous thing. The government would never tell you that you have to sell what you have for a higher price than the market's willing to give you. It's like, well, that's exactly what they're doing with minimum wage. 
you know, somebody may not have a lot of skills and there might not be somebody out there willing to pay them $15 an hour, but they'll pay them five. And you're telling these people at these lower level, you're not allowed to sell your time. You're not allowed to earn money unless you charge a much higher rate than nobody wants it. And I was like, that was a pretty interesting analogy that I think a lot of people can. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would look at it even, even broader than that and, and just say, and forgive me for repeating myself, but what waiting for your labor union to give you a better deal or waiting for the government to change your salary and just like putting, putting your hope in the government telling you what you're worth, I think is insulting because I think people are worth more than that. And I think that they can impact change faster than just waiting for a politician to give them what they want. Yeah. Do you think that? Because of the the country right now, I mean, it's nobody would argue, well, nobody who knows what they're talking about would argue that America is a purely capitalist country. I mean, we are very much on the socialist spectrum based upon a lot of the policies and a lot of the things we have now. Do you think we're too far gone to make a big difference or do you think that it's through entrepreneurialism and education that we can start to turn this thing around or do you think we're um, on a path to just becoming a pure socialist country? You know, I go back and forth on this, but if, if you ask me today, my answer today is that I'm very optimistic. Uh, that has nothing to do with uh, the election. Uh, just overall, if we look at the progress that we are making in the private sector, it far outpaces what's happening in the public sector. That's true. I mean, I mean, and, and if we look at that, we are, we are disrupting industries faster than governments can keep up. <laughs> That's so, a fact. so, yeah, so governments just have to get out of the way. Like if, if, if Uber and Lyft can disrupt the taxi industry and the transportation industry faster than any government can do and faster than a government can even update their legislation, then what do you think is going to happen when Tesla releases the self-driving car? Yeah. And then the their built-in Uber technology where I can be in the Bahamas and I'm running out my Tesla while I'm gone because it's driving itself and I come back and there's money in my account. My friend Annie and she she went to Pittsburgh and she actually took a self-driving Uber just the other day. I mean, the fact that's that that's crazy is nuts. It, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I am very optimistic that we are outpacing government so quickly that we will easily see that there's no reason to stand in the way of capitalism and we just need to get out. Yeah. You know, in, in James Altucher's book, uh, Choose Yourself, which you've probably read. I have. Yeah. One of the things I loved, the points he made, uh, paraphrasing here, was that, you know, in, because of what's going on with the economy and the environment, and et cetera, that uh, at, throughout history, it's never been more important to be entrepreneurial or to be an entrepreneur, whether you're an artist, whether you're in a business or whatever, because changes are coming. And you're being forced, like people are being forced into independent contractor status more so yes. than ever before. He says, so never has it been more important to be. However, never has it been easier to be an entrepreneur. The fact right. that, I mean, you and I, I mean, can you imagine like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, having the ability to sit down and have a, have a business as a teenager, you know, or whatever with your computer and nothing else? Like back then – to start a business, it was massive capital. Like the only type of business you could start without a bunch of capital is a multi-level marketing business. <laughs> yeah. And today it's almost expected that young people are going to be entrepreneurs because <laughs> they're, because they're, because they want, they don't want to be doctors when they grow up. They want to be YouTubers. Yeah. They want to be Elon which is, Musk. They want to be YouTubers. They want to be, um, they're the new rock stars. I was actually writing and, an article about that. 
Um, another thing, and I was having this conversation last night, just kind of about, you know, we were solving world problems, obviously, over beers. And you mentioned earlier Peter Diamandis, who I've met and uh, loved all of the stuff he's doing. And you've got him coming to Freedom Fastlane Live, right? That's correct. He's yeah. keynoting the event. That's awesome. So Peter, if for my audience, if, if you don't recognize him, uh, founder of X Prize, and uh, was, you know, his entire model was, well, let's solve major world problems by putting a prize on them, which, and it, it, I think, what was it like a ten million dollar prize to be the first company to get into space? That's what Richard Branson and Bert Rutan won. Was it like ten million the first X Prize? It was ten million. Right. Yeah, and I bet that they spent more than ten million dollars to to on their plane. I'm willing to bet. I have no, I have no idea. Right. But I'm willing <laughs> to bet to be the first company to take a plane to space. It costs more than $10 million. But I was like, that's really interesting when you think, especially in America, we have this really competitive spirit. One of the simplest problems is just sponsor a prize. Even if the prize is minuscule and it's like a trophy prize, it will ignite the capitalistic entrepreneurial passions of so many people and problems get solved so much quicker than ever before. I think that if our government took a note, like, you know, read uh, some of the stuff that uh, Peter's put out and implied it, that is a big part of the future. So I, th I thought that was awesome when I saw that you were having him keynote the event. Well, even if we were to go more micro than that, there's just something magical about in your business, what problem is it that you solve? You know, when we look at it that way, like I, I so I teach a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs. Yep. I, te I teach a lot of of individuals how to ha build physical products brands and and how to sell those. I, I, my kind of shtick is the twelve months to one million plan. What you need to do to build a million dollar business in twelve months. And one of the sticking points that a lot of the new entrepreneurs that I work with have is they say, okay, so I've got this product, and now what do I do with it? And they have no idea who they serve or what the pain point is that they're solving. Mm -hmm. What problem do you solve with, with your product? Because if you can solve that and if we can put a person behind that, then your entire product line becomes extremely, extremely clear. And as a result, you'll have no problem marketing that product because it's a, it's a clear solution to pain. And when it is a solution, that's really easy for people to get behind and to support. Whereas if it's just a product... Uh, that, that, that's harder to sell. So if we were to just think about entrepreneurship and your business as the solution to some problem, that's easy to get people to rally behind. That's a cause people can believe in. And that's when you have raving fans and you have repeat customers and it just gets a lot easier from there. Yeah, it really does. And I, I think that looking, sometimes a problem that you're solving is not an obvious problem. Sometimes it's not right out right. there, but digging and, and really thinking about you know, what is it? Uh, you can, un you can uncover some gold when you, when you really think like that and take that, the filter to your business, to your service, to, you know, to whatever. Like, you know, my wife, I've had this conversation with my wife and she's a, um, in addition to owning Stiletto Coffee, she's a mortgage officer. And, uh, you know, <laughs> although that's a harder problem with what problem are you saw solving, uh, selling coffee, you know, <laughs> but, um, you're more like fulfilling a desire. But in the mortgage business, like I've had this conversation, like what problems are you solving when somebody comes to get a loan through you so that right. you can really articulate that uh, in, a, in a way it's going to touch them more emotionally. It's going to be, it's going to hook them much more into 
you know, working with you as opposed to just saying, no, I make loans so people can get houses. Yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden now there's a a mission and a reason why you exist rather than you just uh, pushing paper all day. I, I think, I think, look, all entrepreneurship and all capitalism is the solution to some problem and making money in the process. You're, you're making the world a better place and you're making money in the process. But we so often forget about the making the world a better place or solving a problem piece of it. But they're hand in hand. By you having a transaction take place, you're making a world a better place because someone voluntarily said, I want that thing more than I want these dollars. And now the pie has gotten bigger. And we just see it in dollars, but you've forgotten the impact that you've made in the person who voluntarily said, I want this thing. And it's easy for us to lose that. But And I think that's part of why we have demonized the idea of capitalism, because we have forgotten that behind all of the transactions, there are wants and desires that people are voting for. And they're saying, I want this and this makes my life better. Yeah, you're, you're 100% spot on. Uh, I even did a, whoops, just got my earpiece. I even did a uh, podcast episode recently and I've got an article coming out about kind of the difference between trying to be an entrepreneur and simply being entrepreneurial and how you don't have to quit your job and and take on a ton of risk and then raise capital or spend a bunch of capital in order to be entrepreneurial. I and mean, you can do that inside a job. You can do that wherever you're at simply by understanding exactly what you just said, which was, uh, what does an entrepreneur do? They, they, they create value by solving problems. Right. And receiving value in return. And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, that's really all it is. You can do that by asking questions of your, you know, if you've got a job and you're an accounts receivable and there's nothing really amazing about it. Uh, what questions are you asking your colleagues, your bosses, your superiors, people in different departments? Are you finding out what problems and inefficiencies are there? And then are you taking the initiative to go solve it? Whether right. it's you or somebody you know, that's being entrepreneurial and you get rewarded for it. And I think if more people took on that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit, we'd have a lot less issues. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's how real change gets made. It, it comes from people being entrepreneurial and people starting businesses and solving problems. Absolutely. I want to shift gears a little bit because uh, I want to talk about uh, some of the cool stuff you've been doing with this event and um, some of the growth. Like, was it last year that when you did the Freedom Fast Lane Live? Um, was that your very first live event for that? Yeah, that was that was the first one, and I did it because I didn't think I could. So I was going to ask you about that. like, yeah. So tell yeah. me about that because I mean, you came out swinging. Like, you came out and you made a you made a big splash. You didn't have like a little tiny little workshop and then build, you know, take years and years to build up. I mean, you got some good names there and you got some good people there. I mean, how many people were at the first event? We had just over 400 at the first one. Yeah. And for those of you who've never thrown an event, putting 400 butts in a seat, especially, did you do it in December last year as well? Yeah, we, we did it right before Christmas yeah, last year. Oh, yeah. and my, and my daughter says hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> that's crazy to me. Like the fact that like you even pulled that off is amazing. Cause you know, like everybody's got crazy travel schedules in December. Um, but going back to the very first one, um, like who are some of the big, cause I can't remember off the top of my head, but you had some pretty big keynote. So, yeah. So let's, let's tell the story here yeah, because I love this. Yeah. I, I, um, my my goal, my goal ever since I was a kid was to own the Cleveland Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up until this point, I would say they're a really bad baseball team that I want to turn around. <laughs> um, but this year was a pretty good year. So uh, I, I've been in this entrepreneurial and, and 
you know, internet business world for several years. And at one point I just looked at myself and I was like, the path that I'm on is not going to get me my dang Cleveland Indians. Like playing in the field of individuals where people are, are just trying to extract as many dollars as possible rather than doing something incredible is not going to get me my Cleveland Indians. So I've got to go get some better strategies. So who are, who are the, the, the biggest and the best people that I follow, respect, or that have mentored me that can up level this? Cause this is a problem. Like, like if I'm, if I'm going to own the Cleveland Indians, I got to do something different and I got to start doing it now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first call I made was Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, not because he talks about hustle in Monday mornings, but he because wants to own the Jets. On the Jets, and he runs a hundred million dollar agency, hundred million dollar per year agency. Okay, so, so tell me, all, tell me about that. Long, did you know Gary before that? I didn't know Gary. Um, I just knew that he was the first person that I had to call. Okay, so tell um, me how I that called, went down. Well, how what went down? How did you how did you do that? Like, what's the when you want to talk to somebody oh, that I you just, don't I know? I just paid him. Okay, I, mean, <laughs> I just I just put down money. There yep. there are people who are like, how'd you get in touch with people? I paid him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, amazing I, how I, that it only works all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I would pay for coaches. I would pay for consultants. I would pay for employees. Why would I hire the people who are 10 years ahead of me so I can collapse that time and make it happen faster? Mm-hmm. Um, my second call was to Grant Cardone. I didn't know who the guy was. I just know he owned $400 million in real estate. And I thought that would make a really nice down payment on the Cleveland Indians. So I need this guy to come in, come in and talk about his empire here. Um, my third call was to Jeff Hoffman, who founded Priceline.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had has a billion dollar net worth. Okay, that would get me two Cleveland Indians. So we're well on our way. Here. Uh, I called Robert Hershevek. Uh, Robert Hershevek, you know, not because he's on Shark Tank, but because he runs a fifty to one hundred million dollar a year company and invests in new companies, and he's seen everything that has done to grow a business or tank a business on a massive scale because he's invested in all these companies. I want to hear what the best strategies were. So we. We, I, I, my intent is always to bring in those who can accelerate the process to extraordinary results and collapse it into three days because you can't help be in that environment and walk out a different person. It's just like, you know, you're the average of the five people that you hang out with. You're also the average of the people that you listen to and you follow. Yep. And in our little incestual world, we follow the exact same people and talk about the exact same things. It's exhausting. And oh, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's kind of depressing because mm-hmm. it's time for a better conversation. So, so this, this year we, we're covering the, the path from zero to a hundred million in every stage in between. So everyone who we're bringing in is, is, has either been a part of a company that has, has made that, that growth or has been a piece of an overall strategy mm-hmm. that contributes to that. Um, we're doing a panel of $100 million business owners. Peter D is uh, keynoting the event. We brought in John Mackey, who Whole Foods. You know, founded Whole Foods, $13 billion a year uh, in, in revenue for that company. He's selling other people's products. Like I look down on selling other people's products, but he does it the $13 billion a year. <laughs> so uh, I guess we got to talk because I'm wrong about something, right? So... That's the idea. We, we put, we, we put those who have, have done these extraordinary things that are beyond what our industry usually settles for. We put the best people into one room. I do it selfishly so I can up level. And then we invite people to join because anybody who's going to resonate with that is the type of person I want to hang out with and will probably be good for me to know on my path to own the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> I love that line of thinking and, uh, you're playing the long game. 
with it and understanding that access and influence are, you know, will get you very, very far. Though that being said, uh, early on, you know, you had, and that, that was just what last year's lineup. I mean, you've got an right. even more impressive lineup, like you mentioned this year. Um, you don't have to go into, you know, exact details unless you want to, but, uh, you know, how much did you have to really, I mean, did you have to go pretty much in the hole? And I mean, you took a big, big bet on this. Like if I build it, they will come. Did you not where, uh, yes. I get these right people. I mean, that had to really kind of make you, you know, tighten up a little bit going, man, I'm, I'm shelling out a lot of cash. Is there, oh any- yeah, event, uh, events don't make money. No. So. I mean, this is the most expensive thing we do. It's the most laborious thing we do. Sometimes I like to joke that we spend six years or six years, uh, kill me. We spend six months of our year prepping to do something where we won't make money. <laughs> do you uh, think you'll lose much money or do you think do you'll we, break it? And I'm our, talking about immediate. Goal, yeah. Our goal is to not lose money. Yeah. Our goal is to break even. And we did last year. We probably will again this year. That's beautiful. Um, if you can put that on and break even that's all well it's also a lot of freaking work um but we we do it because it's the long game for me Mm -hmm. it's it's the long game of who am i surrounding myself with and how am i thinking Mm -hmm. i literally i literally build and host the event that i want to go to and that's why i do it right because there's no other event where i can get the same experience so it it is sure it's good branding but it is literally the event i want to go to that we put on in december and we invite people to join, um, and they don't have to spend six six months planning it and doing all this work because mm-hmm. um, nobody else was doing it, so somebody had to, and it was us. So all the big marquee names, and I, I've not held a big event like you've done, so and paid speakers to come in, at least not yet. Um, but uh, all these marquee names, they all expect full payment up front, way ahead of time, or are there were you able to negotiate any? Um, kind of unique or creative situations that took a little bit of the pain off you until later. Some of them are uh, willing to negotiate, mm-hmm. but the standard approach is half up front and half 30 days before the event. Okay. So if you book them in January, you'll put uh, basically a 50% deposit down and then you'll pay the rest in November. So that, that's your standard uh, speaking arrangement. I love so it. there's some flexibility there. Now, were you able to, uh, at least since the first one, capitalize, work with, uh, you know, find any opportunities with some of the people from, you know, Gary to Jeff or Herjavec or whatever, like staying in contact with them and furthering that relationship. Well, Grant was an interesting case. By the way, uh, I didn't bring his name up in that list for, yeah, because <laughs> we don't like each other very much, but, um, the, the rest, yeah, there's, there's some, I guess, social capital that's built up, even if it's, you know, an opportunity comes up and, and, and someone says, Oh yeah, I remember that person. Mm-hmm. So there's not a, there's not a direct, uh, there's not a direct path to, to victory there in every case. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it's a year from now, sometimes that relationship capital cashes a check. And then, so you mentioned a few of these, but on the, on the lineup this year, Peter Diamandis, um, Jesse Itzler, who, right. who was on my show or earlier, wait, like back in February. I'm really looking forward to actually meeting in person this year. Um, who are, who are some of the other big marquee names that you've got? Alicia Silverstone, yeah. the actress, but she's a successful entrepreneur and nobody knows it. It's uh, kind of sad that nobody knows it. Um, Sean Stevenson, who I know you know and are friends with. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things at, at events like these I've realized is that being in that type of an environment can also 
be kind of hard on your psyche because you hear all these amazing things that happen. And then at least for me, I get depressed about it because yeah, I say... You compare yourself to them. Exact, exactly. Oh, so, yeah, we, always, right. we, we always kick off the event with someone like Sean who has this story of, you have nothing to be upset about. And like clears the clears the pathway for three days of growth. Sean's uh, great. Have you, have you had... Did, was he at the last one? He was not, no. He is great. You've seen him speak in person though, obviously, right? Yeah, of course. He's so awesome to kick off an event. He sets the tone like nobody I've ever seen. Uh, Cameron Harold speaking, call him the million dollar man. He's been a part of three different companies that have gone to a hundred million. Yeah, he was just on the show too. Cool. And, uh, uh, one I'm probably most excited about, Tom Billiou, the founder of Quest Nutrition. Yeah. Who, that would be cool. I'm, from I'm a big zero to, a quest zero to this 500 morning. million. Perfect. <laughs> and that company went from zero to 500 million in, in, uh, in like five years, you know, in selling food. That's just, that's impossible. And in doing it with no outside capital. Wow. That's just, that's just ridiculous. You did a podcast with him, didn't you? I did. That yeah, was just. I, I've got that on my list to listen to because I was like, yeah, that, that really, really interesting, especially as a consumer of his product. Yeah, yeah. fascinating story. The uh, who who are some of the people that um, are not coming to this who you don't know yet who are on your big wish list of um, maybe next year or the ones that you really want to up level again? Oh, if I told you, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Oh, you got to you. Like, like, like I'm going to share that with you. No, we actually, we're already in, uh, in planning mode for the next one. So we, we, we have to, if we're going to make everyone bigger and better than the last yeah. one, we always have our hit list going. What about, well, you don't have to name any names, but what are some of the fields that you're really looking into? Cause obviously there's people who are, you know, founders of companies. Uh, like, are you also looking for big VC type folks and or Silicon most, Valley or anything of that nature? What's most interesting to me is people who have built sustainable brands. Gotcha. You know, the, the, the quests of the world, yep. the honest companies of the world, the Whole Foods, the dollar shave clubs, the companies that have brands that are then sold for millions or billions of dollars. Um, A, because that's sustainable. B, because I think that is where all the VC money is going to start dumping into and we're already starting to see that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and three, that will give me my Cleveland Indians. <laughs> uh, and that, and that's my skill set is building really, really big brands. Um, in, in my case, it's the 12 months to 1 million plan. I've built them up as big as 10 million, but I've never gone beyond 10 million. So I'm fascinated by the brands that have gone from 10 to 100 and then are acquired for billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I love that. What, um, so people can go, the, uh, the event starts when? It's December 9th, 10th, and 11th in Austin, Texas. Yeah. I ask, <laughs> I'm reminding myself, I've got to book my flight. <laughs> crap Lois and I've been talking about that like, when you getting in I don't know when you getting in yeah get here quick <laughs> exactly um, I'm really looking forward to it and you guys can't wh- the website is what F- freedomfastlanelive.com that's correct you got it it's like burned into your memory man I'm telling you freedomfastlanelive.com guys go there um, one of the things I'm looking forward as I said I, several of the uh, several of the keynote speakers are friends and former podcast guests of mine. Some of them I know really well. Some of them I've never met in person. I'm just dying to go, um, if nothing else, meet some of the, you know, the speakers you've got. But then also one of the things I like about this is it, um, it is much more brand focused. It's very, you've got some really inspirational people who've done really, really big things. And, uh, I imagine that, um, It'll be a really good place if you're if you're kind of struggling for that inspiration to uh, you know do you have what it takes to kick it off? You'll see some ordinary people who've done some extraordinary things. Um, 
which is just like yourself. You're doing some really cool things, man. It's been awesome to watch you uh, over the over the past just couple of years, just you know, kicking it with ecom, with Freedom Fast Lane, with Capitalism.com. I'm really cool, you know, looking forward to see where that goes and what you're able to do in educating the masses on the importance of capitalism and entrepreneurialism and uh, making a change. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I love what I do, and and I'm so glad that uh, that it's impactful for people who are watching from the outside. So, thanks for having me on, Brad. Yeah, you're welcome. Is there anything else? Is there any nuts you're trying to crack, or anything that you know I can do for you besides just helping to get the word out? You know, uh, buy my stuff, uh, Freedom Fastlane, <laughs> FreedomFastlaneLive.com. I mean, really, all I care about yep. is spreading the message of capitalism and helping people to realize that they're the best shot they have at change. Nice. And if we're waiting for government to make an impact, we're doomed from the start, regardless of who is president or who controls the Congress or what. Uh, and, and I think the biggest problem that we have is that we don't have personal responsibility anymore. We wait for other people to do something. Um, and so all I care to do is inspire people that they're the change they want to see in the world. And the best way we do that is to be a capitalist. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Ryan, thanks a lot for joining me on the show. To everybody listening, um, it's short notice, but you can still get your ticket to freedomfastlanelive.com. Uh, Go there. I will be there. You can meet up with me. Um, and I guarantee it's going to be really an amazing event. And I hope this has inspired you to maybe go learn more about capitalism. Do you have a favorite book you'd recommend besides just reading every blog post on capitalism.com? <laughs> um, you know, I really love the slight edge. And when I, re- when I recommend just one, I go with the slight edge. Nice. Basically, I argues, that on my list. I have not read cool. it. Cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that one. It basically argues that, that monumental success doesn't come as the result of individuals having quantum leaps it's the small habits that happen every day yeah yeah it's it's that's important to focus on and hard to uh these days but um once more guys if you enjoyed this show the best way that you can pay uh ryan and i back besides uh, getting a ticket and going to his event is share this on social media let us know let other people know that uh there's an important message here that needs to be heard by more people uh, if you do share it tag me on twitter at brad costanzo on facebook same thing and Instagram, same, wherever, Brad Costanzo. It's pretty easy. That being said, tune into the next episode. Got some really cool stuff coming up. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or uh, compliments, you know, or otherwise, just send those to askbrad at baconwrappedbusiness.com. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.